Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Last week, the disciples came to Jesus and asked Him, teach us to pray. And He did, and He gave them the model prayer. It's nicknamed the Lord's Prayer. It's really more the Lord's Prayer or a pattern of prayer. And in it, He taught them to pray, Holy, 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 our Father who art in heaven. And just adore Him, exalt Him, magnify His name, enter into His courts with thanksgiving. And as we come through this prayer, Jesus helps us to see that it's something that we continue in, we persist daily. He, con he concluded last week, or he didn't conclude, I concluded, he keeps going. I say to you, ask, which is to say, keep on asking, don't stop asking. Give, seek, and keep on seeking, knock, and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. You will receive your answer. And he uses this illustration of a, of a, a human father and how much more benevolent, how much more gracious, how much better God is, our good, good father, that he will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask. God's not a liar. Have you asked for his Holy Spirit? Because if you have, in faith, recognizing who He is and how much He loves you, you have received His Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the very Spirit of God. And this is an amazing thing. And it's a really, really important thing because it helps us transition from our present physical, temporal circumstances into the eternal, that spiritual reality that we are inhabiting now. It's in our midst. It's all about us. But quite often our eyes are clouded, our vision. We don't see it. And prayer opens up our eyes. It opens up our heart. It opens up our mind. It invites Jesus in to be the Lord of my life and fill me, illuminate me, Guide me. And as we move forward now in the Holy Spirit, I'd like to ask that we would pray as we approach this next portion. Father God, you are holy. You are beautiful. So lovely. So gracious. So kind. So patient. So true. Lord, we recognize we fall short of your glory. But we also recognize that you have sealed us for eternity. You have chosen us and adopted us. You call us your own. And as children, we come to you, Abba Father, in need of wisdom, vision, and courage to hear and to do what your Spirit says to your church. We pray this in eager anticipation of your answer through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Buckle up. It's going to get live. <laughs> We're going to deal with discerning spirits and the spiritual forces that we find ourselves engaging. In Ephesians, it says that we are to be strong in the Lord. 
That's where we just, we, that's what we just prayed. That's where we are. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a war raging for our souls. And it's pretty much a given. Somewhere between now and when I finish speaking, you will have thoughts that (laughs) are not of the Lord. Because Satan comes to church on Sunday. And he's doing his very best to make sure that we don't tune in to his Holy Spirit, to God's Holy Spirit, right? He's a deceiver. He's a distractor. And so you can bet in this passage of all passages, he's going to do his very best to whoop, squirrel. Don't worry. It'll be on tape. You can listen to it later. (laughs) Going on, as I said, Jesus didn't conclude. I concluded at verse 13 last week. Going on and, verse 14, he, Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. That's the battlefield, team. There's the enemy. These are the tactics. We're not ignorant of his tactics. We know because God, through his word, has revealed to us this spiritual battle that we are engaged in. And here, Jesus is casting out a demon. And it's kind of an interesting little pattern in all of this. I like what it says. He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. Do you know why they marveled? Interesting, if you kind of do a little bit of digging, you know, if you can get your uh, Bible customs and uh, these types of things, you'll learn that in Jesus' day, the Jewish exorcists, those whose profession it was to cast out demons, could only cast out a demon if they could name the demon. Remember when Jesus cast out the demoniac in Gadarene a couple chapters back. And he asked him, what's your name? And he says, my name is Legion, because there were many demons in that man. And he cast him out, right? They went into the swine. But here, everybody's like, how did he do that? He didn't name the demon. And they marveled, because none of their exorcists could do that. Kind of an interesting package of how this is going on And, you know, it comes to our first lesson in dealing with demons, devils, fallen angels, evil spirits, all of these things. A, we must recognize they are, and they're real, and they're here right now, but don't fret. Greater is he who is in you than he, the prince of the power of the air, who is in the world. You don't need to fear demon possession. Jesus Christ has taken possession of your soul. He has purchased it with his precious blood. And nobody can pry you from his hands. You are safe and secure eternally in Jesus Christ. There is a thing that happens called demon oppression, not possession, but oppression, where they're just like a bunch of bats just hovering all around and just constantly hassling you. This is what Satan loves to do to Christians, to distract them, to get them out of their game, to get them off point. And if he can do that, then you're not working towards the kingdom. You're just hunkering down. And In this, it's kind of interesting, 
were surprised that he could call out the demon. Now, be certain. A lot of us get this idea that um, there's the demon of tobacco or the demon of alcohol or the demon of pornography or the demon of gambling or the demon of, and you can go down the list and fill it in, the demon of gossip, the demon of greed. You can fill up all kinds of stuff. We did the seven deadly sins a couple of months back or whatever, and you know, it doesn't really matter. There's lists out there all over the place, but the bottom line is it's not of God. It is unholy. It is wicked. It is evil, and it's not what God's heart and intention is for our life, and the disciples wanted to know, teach us to pray, and Jesus is teaching them how to pray. Pray eternally. Pray for his Holy Spirit. Pray persistently because you're going to be in this warfare. And to demonstrate, he casts out a demon. He doesn't call its name, but the demon comes out, and they're just absolutely amazed. You know, a kind of a funny thing, I think it's, I don't know, in some people's heads, that if we ignore these things in our life, which we know that are not of God, and we don't name them, they can't hurt us. If we don't name them, they don't exist. They do. And it's important for us to know that God wants us to walk holy and pure with him. So he's given us his Holy Spirit that can dis- give us discernment and recognize who these spirits are. And even if you don't know what it is that's plaguing you, and how many of you have ever been in that funk? <laughs> You're a Christian. I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm serving in the children's, I'm doing all these things, and I just don't get it, something's just like not right. You're probably being harassed (laughs) in the heavenly realm, the principalities and the powers, okay? And you don't need to know exactly what the thing is. What you do need to know is who casts the demon out, and that's Jesus Christ. And you go to Jesus and you let him do that for you. So see how this goes. They were, they were marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And so this is a passage you can see. It's recorded in uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 12 and Mark, I believe it's chapter 5. But this, is, this has been recorded in several different places. But in this, those that are, there's some around. A lot of them are just marveling, but there's some. They're, you know, pretty cool, pretty slick. And they certainly don't have the Holy Ghost. They have not prayed to receive God's Holy Spirit. They're just walking in the flesh, and they, they're pretty self-confident. And they say, that couldn't, that couldn't have been, uh, without knowing the name of the demon, he must have used some special power that, no, he cast it out by the name of Beelzebub. Okay? Just like we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There, they're accrediting it to the power of Beelzebub. And this word Beelzebub, it's a little difficult to really figure out through the translation. You can look in one place in 1 Kings chapter 1 where there is a demon of the, um, the people in the land of Canaan called Beelzebub, which is translated Lord of the Flies. It's also, and it could become Beelzebul, which is Lord of the Lords, which is to say the chief demon which is to say Satan himself. Satan, Lucifer, was a created being. God created him, set him in place. He chose to rebel against God and fell, and in his rebellion took one-third of the created angels with him in this rebellion. They became what we know as demons, Satan and his minions, okay? They're Satan's They're spirit beings, and it's a couple things we want to know about demons just to get straight. A, they're created. So they only have whatever agency God allows them. We see in the opening chapter of uh, Job where Satan is going to and fro on the whole earth, right? And, and, And God says, have you considered my servant Job, you know? upright and just, you know, and, and this battle sets forth, this epic battle. We see the curtain drawn back. Job doesn't. Nobody else saw it, but we know what's going on in the spiritual realm. This is an attack. Well, Satan and his minions, this is what they do. They go around trying to steal, kill, and destroy, thwart God's purposes in redeeming mankind to himself in a love relationship, and, and Satan is about destroying that. 
And so this Lord of the Lords or the Lord of the Flies, whoever they're crediting this, crediting this to, is, is putting it in the right, wrong place. And Jesus is going to uh, develop this in just a second here. I would say, well, I will say when I get to the end of this. Let's say. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll come back to Beelzebub in a minute. Okay? But one of the things that uh, you want to be careful about with, um, in, in I guess if a, a nutshell I could summarize what I've just said, be careful with these two ideas. Everything's a demon. And nothing's a demon. <laughs> a lot of it's you. A lot of it's me. A lot of it's our sin nature, our flesh. We, we, we bring enough trouble into our life. But where there, there is a spiritual reality, and especially when you step out into the kingdom of heaven for the cause of Christ, you're going to encounter resistance. And so here Jesus casts out this demon. They accredit it to a power that isn't God. And it says in verse 16, others testing him sought a sign from heaven. So here's the two battlefields. Where's your power? Show us a sign. And now Luke's going to answer these two things. And so that power, now Jesus gets back to it right here, verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and the house and a house divided against a house falls. So he, Jesus, knew what they were thinking. This could be, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 or 10, uh, a word of knowledge, okay? This is one of the spiritual gifts. It's listed in the scriptures that God does dispense to his saints at various times in various places for various purposes. It's up to God to decide, but he can give somebody a gift known as the word of knowledge. And that is something that you have knowledge, you have information about that you could only have received from the Holy Spirit. There's no way that you could have looked it up or studied it or in some way figured it out. It's only that God puts it in your heart. Here it says Jesus knew what they were thinking. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, I wish I knew what he was thinking? Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, I think he's thinking this? And you have no way to know what he's thinking. Now, it could just be intuition. It just could be experience. You know, you, you go through life long enough and you can kind of figure out sometimes what people are thinking, right? Or you get a hunch. But there is a gift called the word of knowledge. It could be any one of the three. It doesn't say right here. But it's not uncommon to see Jesus operating in the gifts of the Spirit. What I am saying is this doesn't have to say, well, he... he, he took on his divinity for a moment here, and he figured it all out. He is doing what you and I can do. It's called the spirit of discernment. It's the ability to look into a situation and understand what's going on, but it's on a spiritual plane, right? You have to pray that you can enter into that spiritual understanding of God, the mind of Christ, his Holy Spirit, and it can bring things forward. So he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided itself against itself, is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself falls. Pretty basic. You understand that, right? Basically, like if you had a house of cards or whatever, you divide it, and it's working against itself. It's, it's going to bring itself down. Whenever you bring division into something, it brings destruction. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's this kingdom of evil, and there's this holy kingdom, and there's a war going on. And here they're accusing him of casting out a demon by the Lord of the demons. That would be dividing itself. Why would the Lord of the demons be against the demons? There's division. It says, verse 18, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Okay? pretty clear on that. So he's saying, you're pointing in the wrong direction. Look, if I was doing something evil, if I was doing something wicked, if I was doing some kind of sorcery or some kind of spell or magic, and I was bringing about bad fruit and a negative result, something that wasn't unhealthy or was unhealthy, it wasn't wholesome, it wasn't godly, it wasn't Christ-like, if you're accusing me of doing that, yeah, it could be that there's a power that is manifesting itself through my actions, but that's not what's happening here. And you're, you're saying if something bad is happening here that Satan is now against himself. It doesn't make any sense. Verse 19, 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Okay, remember I opened up, there were exorcists in Jesus' day. Their job was to go around and cast demons out of people. And um, now he's saying, if, if they can cast demons out, and you don't call them uh, ruled by Satan, why are you putting that accusation against me? A couple things just to look at in uh, the Bible regarding demons here. In Jude, in verse 6, and I'm going to read a little chunk of scripture here. It says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, demons, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. This is what happens to demons and people on their team. Okay, says verse 8, likewise, these dreamers, these are people who are coming in and corrupting the church, like these people who are arguing with Jesus right now. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So even Michael, the archangel, chief of all the angels, wouldn't even rebuke Satan to his face. He would just tell Jesus to do it. Right? And this is something really important as we engage with this spiritual realm and demonic forces that are arrayed against us. You don't want to take them on in your own strength. You'll be toast. You go to Jesus. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. And let him handle it. It goes on to say in Jude, um, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know or whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and they have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so the example is used of in the heavenly realms, Michael the archangel, chief of all the good angels, doesn't even go face-to-face, mano-a-mano with Satan. He just calls Jesus. You take care of it. You see, Jesus is God. They're all created beings. And when you put God on the job, he easily can vanquish anything any created being is doing. Another passage just to bring into play here, you've heard this one, I'm sure, many times before. In James, in chapter 119, do you believe that there is one God? You do well. It says, even the demons believe and tremble. And so, if you don't believe there are demons, um, do you believe there are God? there's a God? And it's funny how sometimes people will say, well, I believe in God and I believe in heaven, but I don't, think, I don't believe in Satan and I don't believe in hell. I'm like, where do you get your theology? Who cooked that up for you, Right? You either go to the source, you go to the scriptures, and you look and see what the Bible teaches, and there you go. Jesus teaches more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. It's straight up. If you don't believe in God, you might not believe in hell. You might not believe in heaven. But if you will humble out and say, listen, (laughs) there is a God. I'm not him. (laughs) And I need to know him and know what he wants for me. You'll also realize that there's a kingdom that's arrayed against you. And uh, finally, and I like this one because he says, invert back to uh, Luke chapter uh, 11, 19, if I cast out a demon by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. There's a really fun story, uh, and it has to do with the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. But it's in Acts chapter 19, and it's in Ephesus, but this is what happens. Picking up at verse 13, It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So they're trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. But it seemed to work for other people, so let's try it, right? And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, 
Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to both all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and had totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. That's revival right there, repentance and revival. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. If I cast out a demon by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. If you're laying this at my feet, that I'm doing this according to Beelzebub, then let your sons figure this one out, because they're casting out demons as well. It is interesting, I guess I, I, I should keep going, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting ahead of myself all these times. Verse 20, but, If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you, okay? So if you say it's Beelzebub, well, let your sons figure that one out. But if I'm doing it by the finger of God, that must mean God's in the house. The finger of God has done this. The first time we see this idea of the finger of God is when Moses goes to Egypt and tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and God brings all these many plagues. And if you remember, there were uh, magicians or sorcerers in Pharaoh's court that were replicating Moses' plagues, right? Turning the snake and a stick into a snake and back and forth and blood in the Nile. But you get to the third plague, which is turning the dust to, to lice, and it was climbing all over everybody. And then James, Janis, and Jambres are the two that we get mentioned. Um, they're like, this is the finger of God. Man can't do this. They couldn't repeat that, you know, and they recognize this is the finger of God. We see the finger of God writing the Ten Commandments. We see Jesus writing in his finger when the woman is brought to him in adultery. We see these what are called anthropomorphisms or giving human attributes to God. God is spirit. We must worship him in spirit and truth, but to understand him, they use this term of the finger of God. Now, if you remember, God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty and outstretched arm, right? And this this is, again, a, a way of describing how God did that. But when God did this, cast out the mute demon or turned the dust to lice, it's like he just did that, flick. And this is what Jesus is saying. God is in the house, and this power that God has is way bigger than this power that you're accrediting it to. Yes, there are demonic forces in the world. Yes, the devil, Satan, shows up at church on Sunday. Yes, there is power in the demonic, in the occult, in Ouija boards and tarot cards and horoscopes and all these things. You shouldn't play with them because there is real power, and you don't want to open that door. That's a Pandora's box. Gonna be, you, don't want, <laughs> you don't want to open that because it's real. But there's a greater, a bigger, a more real truth, and that is Jesus can overcome them if he chooses. Verse 21, he uses this illustration. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. When a strong man fully guards his house. So he's using this picture. There's, like, say, a castle, right? And there's the Lord, the the over the castle, and he's strong, and, and he's guarding it. So he's got all of his, his military, and they're on the ramparts, and they're all prepared for battle, and nobody's going to get in because it's well defended, okay? And uh, he's using this as a picture of Satan, okay? And, and he's the strong man. But, verse 22, when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his own spoils. Now he's speaking of himself, that one that's stronger than Satan. When he comes along, he just takes it away from him. He may be a strong man, and you and I would be fools to go up against Satan. But for Jesus, no problem. And this is why they're marveling, and this is why they don't understand. How did you cast a demon out of a mute guy? Well, because I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not a human. I am, I am, I'm God, you know? I'm almighty God. I'm, I'm majestic God. And so he's trying to help them understand that. 
He says to finish it off, verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, if you're following in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, this is the same thing that he says at the end of this little story on casting out demons and who you give the glory to or who you recognize as in control. It says in verse in Matthew, I'll, I'll go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, and you'll recognize it. He who is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Moving on to verse 31 then, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And, you know, if you've been around the church, if you've been through some Bible studies or heard these teachings, we, we call, you know, we, it's, oh, the blasphemy, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. Now, what sin is there that God can't forgive? Can he forgive murder? Can he forgive gossip? Can he forgive stealing? Can he forgive divorce? Can he forgive abortion? Tell me a a sin he can't forgive. Good, you're paying attention. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's the only one. And the reason is, is because it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is able to forgive you. So if you say there is no Holy Spirit, or that as these guys are claiming, Jesus, you're not God, you don't have God's power, you're not in line with God, then there's nowhere for them to get forgiven. If you completely refuse and reject the grace of God and His Holy Spirit, the forgiveness that He offers you through His Son, Jesus Christ, there's no place left to get forgiven. You could be a murderer, you can be an adulterer, you can be an abortionist, you can be uh, a, a liar, a cheater, a gospel, you can be whatever, and you can go to the cross and find grace. But if you say, that cross, that's stupid, that's foolish, there's no power there, where are you going to go? And that's fundamentally where God, where Jesus leaves it. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. That means fundamentally there's two kinds of people on earth, saints and ain'ts. You are one or you are another. You're a child of God. You've confessed him as Lord. You believe in your heart. He has been raised from the dead. And with that same resurrection power, he's going to raise you from the dead. With that same blood he shed on the cross, your sins have been forgiven. And you know you have been adopted. You're a child of God, signed, sealed, and delivered. Or you don't. And that's basically the two teams that you're on. These people are claiming Jesus is on the other team. Therefore, they've basically sealed their fate. As long as they have breath, they could change their mind. As long as they have breath, they could come to a place of repentance and say, I was wrong. You can say a word against the Son of Man and you can be forgiven. But if you persist in rejecting the Holy Spirit's witness in your heart, you have no place to go. But eternity separated from God. Verse 24 So what are we going to do with this? When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. And if you are, I want to comfort you. If you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, you're safe. You're secure. You're a child of God. Nobody can put his hand on you. He who is in you, we read in 1 John chapter 4, is greater than he who is in the world. He is a stronger man than Satan, and he can take care of you just fine. But if you're reading this for the first time and you haven't confessed Jesus, this is scary. This is really scary. When an unclean spirit, that's an evil spirit, a demonic spirit, goes out of a man, Jesus just cast the demon out of the mute man. I mean, he's not talking about theory here. These people are all standing there. 
and the mute guy's probably going on and on and on and on. And <laughs> I get to talk. I'm not going to stop. This is happening real life, real time, right in this moment, and Jesus is using this illustration. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Demonic spirits desire to dwell in living beings, right? Because they are separated from God. God is life. And in order for them to be able to effectively do anything, they do it through their proxy, whoever they would inhabit. Remember the demoniac. The demons are like, please don't cast us into the pit before our time. Send us into the swine. Jesus allowed it, and they went. But they're always looking for some place to inhabit, some place where they can have influence and exercise um, their demonic uh, activities. And so this is, a, is an illustration of somebody who has been set free from demonic possession. Okay, this would not be a Christian because you can't be possessed as a Christian, but somebody who has, through the power of Jesus Christ, been set free from their sin. Now, I'm one of those people. And I know there's several in this room that can give testimony to that. And I would say for many of us, you know, this is, this is our, our story. And it says when it leaves, it goes through dry places seeking rest, trying to find some place it needs to light, right? It's like a bird that's just flying and I've got to find a place to land. And it's looking. Maybe there's a bird. Maybe there's a demon flying around here looking for a place to land this morning. Well, I, I'm praying that that, that that one just just flat out wears out his wings. <laughs> there should be no place in here for a demon to land. You're children of God. You don't have to worry about that. But out in that world, you know, and this is, this is the deal. <sighs> Might be a bird trail, thinking of birds. But when you witness to people that don't know Jesus Christ, especially people that have some other belief system. Maybe they're atheists. They believe in evolution. Maybe they're following along some kind of cult or false religion. Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or many of the world's religions, right? And you can study and you can argue them sometimes out of what they believe. You can show them the error of their ways. This is wrong. This doesn't add up. That's not logical. And before long, you can, you can displace that, that evil mindset, worldview, belief system that they have. You can, you can drive it out, cast it out, clean it out. They don't believe that anymore. But if you've not shared Jesus with them, they're an empty heart. And they're in jeopardy of having some other belief system or systems or things come back and become even worse. It's kind of the progression that we have like when we were little children, right? When you're, there's, there is a first lie. All of us have our moment. I can't, none of us probably can remember it. It was not much after we began to talk and we lied, right? But until you lie, that's just a totally foreign thing. Or the first time we stole something. Classic is a piece of candy or a coin off our parents' dresser or something like that. But until you do it, you won't do it. But once you do it, it gets a little bit easier. And maybe you stop doing these things. But if you're not careful and you keep going back to these things, eventually you're going to find a whole bunch of this stuff piling on. And that's what happens in people's lives. Now, where it says here seven demons, again, that's kind of a Hebraism, okay, from the Hebra from the Hebrew way of thinking and speaking, seven means just a complete, a, a whole pack, a whole boatload, okay? A house full. You could translate it in all those ways. But basically, when he says he brings back seven, it doesn't mean six plus one more. That's not what it means. What it means is it was just one, and now 
it's a house load. You're, you're, you're just filled with it, right? Because you didn't bring anything else in. It says, when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Now, I, I love this because this is what Jesus does when he comes into our life. He cleans us out from the inside out and put in order. That word in the King James is garnishes, which is to say beautifies. It's not just that he puts you in order, but he makes you beautiful. He cleans out all the gunk and he turns you into this beautiful child of God. But if you do not receive him, you're in jeopardy of then having much more of this activity go on in your life. We're going to keep going for just a minute here, see how far we can get. But let me just summarize that in one thought. Don't dwell on casting out demons. Don't become an expert on exorcism. Okay? Rather, focus on inviting Jesus into your heart. And in your witnessing, share Jesus. Share the love of God. Share the gospel with people. And let that dislodge whatever worldview, belief system, cult, or false religion they're messed up with. Because if you get them out of that religion without getting them into Christ, if you want to use that terminology, they're still going to go to hell. We need to give them Jesus. Focus on Jesus. That's the main idea. When you're cleaning out, put Jesus in. Verse 27, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, this is Jesus now responding to her, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of interesting in all of this. This is one of the... Uh, one of the times where Jesus steps up the game, right? And he, tell, he says, who are my brothers? Who are my, my mother? Those who hear my word and do it. Here again, he repeats that. Those who hear my word and do it. I wouldn't necessarily go here to this morning, but it just happened to come across the news this last week. Um, dealing with Mary and her position in our our faith and what we believe. And, and, you know, Mary, mother of Jesus, I'm talking about, blessed is the woman who bore you, you know, and, and raised you up that way. Um, is she blessed? In this, we get this place of understanding what is right reverence for God. Okay, first we have to recognize and reject that which is evil. And then we have to um, receive that which is good. But then we have to make sure that what we're doing is right and we're reverencing God. And this right reverence, most blessed amongst women. Is, is that described, Mary? Is she the most blessed among women? That's actually what the Bible says. The Bible says you are most blessed amongst women. Not because you're so awesome. Not because you're the best one ever. But you were the mother of Jesus. What an amazing blessing. I mean, really, amongst women, no greater blessing than that. She is the most blessed amongst women. And in the Protestant church, I think we, in response to the Roman Catholic church, we've kind of swung over the far end of the pendulum and, well, Mary, yeah, she's just whatever, a teenage girl got pregnant and all blah, 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 blah. And we just almost sweep her under the carpet in response to what maybe a, a knee-jerk reaction to what we've seen that is in the Catholic Church, which is a more than a reverence. It's really a worship of Mary that goes on. And I'm going to bring my point around in just a minute. I'm not picking on anybody. If anything, pick on us, the Protestant Church. I don't think we give Mary enough credit. Amazing. You know, when you think about it, before she was most blessed amongst women, she was a woman of the Word. When the angel told her that she was going to have Jesus. She erupted into this poetry recorded in the scriptures uh, called the Magnificat. And it's called the Magnificat because the first line in the verse says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced 
in God my Savior. And it goes on and strings together like pearls on a necklace 20 Old Testament passages speaking of God's plan to bring Messiah to the world and save the world. How does a 13, 14-year-old girl do that? spontaneously string together 20 Old Testament verses in this beautiful poem. She was a woman of the Word. So not only did she bring the Word into the world, but she started as a woman of the Word, okay? And I think it's right, if you look into the Catholic Church, they will venerate Mary, and that's okay. Veneration has to do with regarding with great respect and reverence. And that's what this person in the crowd is saying. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. That's reverence. That's veneration. That's not wrong. Emulation is also good. To emulate, to strive to be like. Nothing wrong with trying to be like Mary. Good role model. The rub comes when you start to worship Mary. And this is something we need to be careful for. Now, the things I'm going to say right now may sound like I'm taking a, a poke at our Roman Catholic neighbors. And just know, I love all people, Christian or not, saints and ain'ts. But in some places, if I'm wrong, correct me. And if you're wrong, I might point that out to you too. In the Roman Catholic Church, this is what Pope Francis said last Sunday in his homily. It's uh, Dateline, Rome, Italy. Pope Francis baptized 13 babies in the Sistine Chapel on Sunday, calling the celebration a new birthday into the Christian life. During his homily at the Mass, the pontiff thanked the parents for bringing their children to be baptized while urging them to stay especially close to the Virgin Mary. You can kind of expect that, but you know, is that wrong? Is that emulation? Is that veneration? Um, that's fine. But he goes on to say, pray also to Our Lady, who is the mother, who is our mother, he declared. It is said that when someone is angry with the Lord or has moved away, Our Lady is always close to facilitate his return. You got a problem with God? Talk to Mary. She'll help get you back in his good, good graces. And he goes on to say, the Lord is always close to us, but Our Lady is, I'm sorry, uh, the Lord is always close to us, but Our Lady is the mom, and the mom is always closer than the dad. Always, he asserted. Why? Because that's the way it is. Moms are like that, and it's great. Again, I, I bring that out, and forgive me. I, I, maybe I shouldn't have even gone there. You don't need to know that. But these are some of the spiritual battles we're engaged in in the world. And, and, and we need to be really, really careful and clear that those battles happen in this family. They happen in this valley. They happen amongst other churches in the valley, all who call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord. So how does Jesus respond? But he said, more than that. Great. Yeah, Mary, awesome, wonderful. Emulate her, venerate her, teach your children to be like her. More than that, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. In Psalm 132, I mean, Psalm 138 too, the, the psalmist says, you have exalted your word above your name. When we consider <laughs> his name, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus just taught his disciples to pray that way just a couple verses earlier. And here he says, more blessed than that. 
are those who hear his word and keep it. And so this is why we teach the word. This is why we study the word. This is why we try to put the word in our heart and live according to the word, to be hearers of the word, or doers of the word and not hearers only. Because there's a spiritual battle out there. And there's all kinds of words flying around the room, even as we're in here. Flying through your hearts, flying through your thoughts. Anybody uh, want to raise your hand? You had one of those thoughts I was talking about at the beginning of the message? <laughs> They're here. You're in a battle. Teach us, Lord, to pray. We need your Holy Spirit. Clean us and dwell in us and protect us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, worship. Come on up, Jason and Mary. Father God, I do want to thank you for your word that just pulls back the curtain and helps us to see the reality of the world that we live in that extends far beyond sight and sound and touch and smell. That, Lord, we inhabit eternity. As children of God, we thank you that you have revealed to us, babes, these things which the wise and prudent desire to look into. That you help us understand the battle and, and to recognize the enemy and to understand that he is powerful. But Lord, <laughs> you are the strong man and we have nothing to fear in you as we see the battlefield laid out in front of us, we recognize we fight from victory. It's already been won. We simply need to step into your will for our lives. I pray for everybody in this room because I recognize when we <sighs> bring up the enemy, we talk about this spiritual warfare that inevitably we're going to experience it. I pray, Lord, hold us tight. Fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, with your joy, with your hope, with your peace, that we may stand. And having done all, stand. Help us just recognize our position is safe and secure eternally in you. And for that, we will never stop praising your name. We pray this in your beautiful, beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.